the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS On Air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 930 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much, and welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, our special guest host today, Peaches Hall, pinch hitting for Carol Zerniel, who is on special assignment. Delighted to have Peaches here. The Doris Griffin Senior Center over there on 410 at Ingram Mall is where you find her as the director of that center, past history, working as director of memory units, and knows a whole lot about Alzheimer's and dementia and all kinds of issues that affect folks, many of whom listen to this program called Caregiver SOS On Air. And we are delighted to welcome as our very special guest today, Nurse Magnet Borrego, who is with the WellMed Bridges Palliative Care uh, Program, which is relatively new at WellMed and is really a pioneer for what's being done uh, in, in terms of approaching end of life, but not yet. Not yet. Not yet. End of life. So we'll talk about palliative care and how that works. Uh, Magda has been a nurse for more than 20 years, although she doesn't look that old when you think about it. So welcome to Caregiver SOS on air, and I need you to lean into that microphone. There you are. Here I am. Well, it's great to see you, and tell us a little bit about, first of all, how for you this is a an exciting new venture in nursing because palliative care wasn't there not too many years ago. No, no, it wasn't. And it's been really um, incredible. It's It's been wonderful for our patients and for our physicians and for all of our team. It's been a great program. Because? Well, you know, we're kind of like the pioneers of, of the palliative program and for WellMed. You know, we started on a little pilot program, which is 30 to 50 patients, and here we are. So we've seen over 3,000. Now, when you say palliative care, that's a great Scrabble word, Uh, (laughs) and uh, I'm sure it's one that more and more folks are hearing, but they really don't know what it means. Well, palliative is very different from hospice. Palliative is, we're still in the curative stage, but we are still dealing with life-limiting illnesses and chronic diseases and a lot of um, pain and symptom prevention and, and helping with them in the in the home. So the difference is that we're still in a curative stage. And with our palliative program, it's like the clinic going to the patient's home. So you make house calls? We make house calls. Yeah, this program is a centered base, is a patient-centered visit as opposed to a doctor's centered visit. So when you go into the doctor's home, uh, into the doctor's the clinic. Home, right. Well, when you go into the into the doctor's clinic, you know it's um, it's centered around that clinic and that and the physician. But when you go into the patient's home, everything is centered around that patient and what can we do? And we kind of um, take a look at see what type of care they're getting in the home and who's providing and the family. Um, and so, yeah, it is, it's a home-based program. I love that we have the palliative part because we have the clinics, we have the, the specialists, and we also have the hospice. It's the one-stop. And it's yes. just like what we do at the Doris Griffin Center. It's one-stop. We take care of everything. And mm-hmm. now you're able to do that, too, and I love that yeah. part. Yes, we're, we're able to do that. And so, I mean, we have a big team. We have physicians and nurses, nurse practitioners, social workers, LVNs. It's a big it's a big team. Um, well, why do you think WellMed uh, moved in this direction? Well, there is a big segment of patients um, that had this life-limiting illnesses and um, were needing a little bit more help in the home. Um, and so we help um, with their other providers, their other physicians, um, and just come to their aid. I mean, they're not quite to the hospice stage, you know, and so... So if I move into palliative care, I don't lose my PCP, my primary care provider. I just have an add-on of 
we are you. right. We are an extension of our primary of your primary care physician is what we are. The primary care physician never changes. That that physician will always be the patient's physician, and we actually have um, clinic conferences with them on a weekly basis. So they're fully aware of, of what's going on with their patients and how we're helping them and. Um, and sometimes they do so well that they are discharged from our program. They graduate from our program. Yeah. And we, um, because at that point we're getting more help. And I mean, mm-hmm. we have a social worker that's going in there. We're making sure that their medications mm-hmm. are on track. And, um, you know, we're going to send them to the to the right specialist. And then once they start doing better, then we'll discharge them back. Now, if you've just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. On 9.30 a.m., The Answer, I'm Ron Aaron, along with Peaches Hall, who is filling in for Carol Zernio today. We're talking with uh, Nurse Magda Borrego, who is part of the Palliative Care Bridges program uh, at WellMed. And uh, the, the program itself has been around for five years now. Since 2013, yes, sir. And uh, we started with one nurse and one doctor. So I know you say that they go, uh, they do make house visits, mm-hmm. but correct me, do you not do as if they were with Wilmed prior, you'll even go into assisted livings and memory cares and yes. to nursing homes? Yeah. yeah. We go. We, we don't go into the nursing homes, but we do go into assisted living mm-hmm. and, and memory cares. Right. We also do have a palliative clinic. So our patients are always evaluated first in the clinic, not unless they're truly homebound. Mm-hmm. meaning that they would have to be in a stretcher to come mm-hmm. um, um, to be seen. So then the initial evaluation will be done by a provider in, in the home. Um, and we can continue seeing them in the clinic. Uh, we can continue doing that, or do we put them into our home-based program, which is the Bridges program? That's great. How many nurses and doctors are in this program now? In the San Antonio, we have four physicians, four nurse practitioners, um, eight nurses. We're about to hire one more. Um, two social workers, three OVNs. Oh my God! About five MAs. That's just here in and San growing. Antonio. Yeah, we're growing now. We have expanded to all the Wilmeds in Texas and in Florida now. When, when you think about how care was delivered before palliative care, right. what are the differences that you bring? Well, I think we've been able to decrease emergency room visits, um, hospitalizations, um, provide them with the care in the home, um, make them, you know, which, what is it, their goals of life that they're wanting, um, and really focusing mm-hmm. on that. Um, where do you see, um, where are we going? Do we, um, do we transition a hospice or um, do we continue with this care? So it's been it's been good. Now, when you say decrease emergency room visits, uh-huh. uh, emergency rooms are terrible places to be, especially right. if you're sick. Right. Nobody wants to be in an emergency Nobody room. Nobody wants to be in the emergency room. How do you then reduce that need for emergency care? Well, we have care. I mean, we're on call 24-7. There's always an RN, and there's always a, a provider that's on call with us. So simple things like um, the family will call and say there are symptoms of a urinary tract infection. A lot of times when it gets um, to be a septic infection, then they'll end up going to the emergency room. But it's something that we can treat in the home. Um, Or do we need to send an x-ray to go out because the patient's having um, some congestion? And um, do we need some labs or... We can do that after hours and on weekends. And Wellman has extended hours in a number of its clinics Yes, now. Uh, yeah, they do have, yeah. They're open till 9, Monday through Friday, and I think it's 8 to 5 or 9 to 5 on weekends and holidays. So we also, if I need to send a patient, say, for example, I already know when I'm triaging the patient that she fell and she was going to need some stitches, I can send them directly to one of our clinics, whichever one is closest to them, if it's going to be Probably the Ingram hours. right next to the Doris Griffin the Center. In- <laughs> Where you Probably find Peaches that Hall. One. Right? Or Peaches will be there. Um, and then I'll, and I'll call to the back line and give report and tell them this is what we're doing. The same thing with the emergency. I mean, if I, if we have an after-hours lab um, that is critical and we need to send them to the emergency room, um, you know, I will coordinate a doctor-to-doctor. So things make it easier mm-hmm. for the patient when they're having to go to the hospital. And also, you were saying that it decreases the ER, but for me, the admissions is the one that's really big because they always come out worse. They always come yes. out exhausted. They're tired. Right. It takes a toll on them. So less times that they're admitted into the hospital, whoo Right, the better. And we also, I mean, we, a lot of our referrals and our admissions come directly from the hospital, 
from the hospitalist. So they'll say this patient is too weak and too debilitated. Um, they are in agreement to the palliative program. Can you follow them up? And then we will. We'll follow them. Because it's those 72 hours post-discharge that the patient is really prone to rehospitalization because you really need that care within that time. So a lot more hands-on. Yes. And the hospitalist uh, is a well-med physician working in a hospital. Mm -hmm. And they're Uh, very familiar with our programs. And that continues that line of care from the PCP to palliative care uh, to the hospital and back. And back, yes. Yeah. So it's a big... you know, it's it's a big circle. It and is. readmissions is a big no-no. Uh, uh, certainly uh, the Medicare folks don't like it. <laughs> Hospitals don't like it. WellMed doesn't like it. Patients, and, and the patients, patients hate it. They yeah. hate it. I mean, who wants to go back into the, into the hospital Nobody. And, and be there? Nobody. No. Yeah, the food's so, so good. We can, <laughs> so we can prevent a lot of that. Um, you know, it helps everybody all around, but mainly, you know, our focus is the patient. Now, every patient is different. Uh, and by the way, if you've just joined us, we're talking with uh, Nurse Magda Borrego, who is a part of the palliative care program at WellMed, uh, Peaches Hall here as well. I'm Ron Aaron. Uh, every patient is different, but there's probably some commonalities that you see about right. folks who end up in palliative care. Tell us about that. Well, it's patients, I mean, there's four main diseases that I, I think that we see, which is your CHF, your CP, COPD, disease management, and of course, a dementia. And when you have all of those combined, I mean, it can really be difficult on the patient. So when they have, say, diabetes, I mean, we will teach them on signs and symptoms of infection. Do we need to do a vascular referral? Do we need to do some diagnosis, um, um, teaching with the patient or the family? So it's, um, so those are the main ones. I mean, obviously, the majority of them are, are um, you know, usually in their 70s or 80s, although my oldest patient is 110. Oh. So that's pretty impressive. Yeah. A piece of the paper the other day, a guy who turned 107 who knocked wood, uh, everything's working. Yeah. She's doing great. She, your patient's doing well, too, uh, at 110? Yeah, 100, she just came out on the news. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty cool. Two weeks ago. Right. Yeah, yeah. My mother used to say, you know, growing old is okay, but everything hurts. Everything hurts. <laughs> everything <Yeah>. hurts. <laughs> <laughs> everything hurts, yeah, yeah. So... But we, I mean, they're, you know, they're the sickest of the sick patients. Those are the ones that are in our program. Um, they're they're not the, ones the ones that need the extra care. Yeah, they they're need not those the hands. ones that are driving. They're not the ones, you know, it's, it's those patients mm-hmm. that um, are needing a little bit more help in the home and um, have a difficult time going mm-hmm. into the clinic. And how uh, great you make house calls. And if it wasn't for that, then we also have the comfort care that gets them to the is clinic. That gets them to the clinic. Yeah, yeah. so wow. Comfort care is great, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll talk more about this as we roll along here on Caregiver SOS on air. Nurse Magda Borrego is with us along with Peaches Hall, pinch hitting for Carol Zerniel on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. It's hard to believe, but this all began in the year 2010. Has it really been that long that we've Dr. been together? Dr. Robin Eikhoff, Ron Aaron, WellMed Radio. What a terrific ride it's been. And since then, and continuing, we have talked about everything. We've talked about medical issues, we've talked about legal issues, end-of-life issues, and the list goes on. You name a disease, and we've covered it, but with answers for people who have it, aimed primarily at seniors and their loved ones. Seniors and caregivers and grandchildren and on and on. So why do you like doing radio? Well, I love spending time with you, Ron. Oh, thank you. That's one of my favorite parts. Well, I appreciate it. But I like educating, and I like educating patients and family members. There's so many things that we can do with this outreach. So listen to WellMed Radio and get healthy. Ron Aaron, Dr. Robin Eikhoff. We come to you Sunday afternoons at 5 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Thank you so much for being with us. And don't forget, following WellMed Radio is this show, Caregiver SOS On Air, on 930 AM The Answer, Sundays at 6 p.m. Podcasts of all of our shows are available as well. And if you'd like a podcast, just go to, well, just Google Caregiver SOS On Air, and the podcast will pop up. You can find them at caregiversos.org 
or on the KLUP 930 AM The Answer website. We're talking with Nurse Magda Borrego about a program she's involved in, Bridges in Complex Care, the palliative care program at WellMed and the kind of work that she does uh, trying to help folks who are uh, dealing with not quite end of life but very serious issues. Peaches Hall, as you think about uh, the kind of service this provides, uh, it can be very helpful to folks. Oh, my gosh. You know, a lot of times I'll talk to people about their medical, and they don't have these benefits. This is um, this is a godsend to be able to have palliative, to be able to have the hospice, to be able to have the comfort care, to have clinics that stay with extended hours, and right next to a senior center. So if this person gets well, then they can continue to stay well, coming and exercising and getting educational programs. The nurses are great. They come over and do programs on uh, uh, infectious disease, on uh, diabetes, uh, you know, on cholesterol. On, so they constantly get the reminders of what's happening, what's new out there, what they should be doing, how to better care for their own self. One thing that's interesting to me, Magda, when uh, you think back when you went to nursing school, not right. that long ago. No, not that, not that long ago. Just, uh, there was no palliative care. There was not, no. Uh, so what did they talk about as folks got toward end of life? Was there any emphasis on providing extra help, extra service? Back in the day, you mean? No, no. Back in, there wasn't anything like that. Uh, it was a struggle for people. It was a struggle, yeah. No, And I remember my mom, who was 47, she passed of, of leukemia. And there mm. was nothing that could assist us and so she died in a cold environment in the hospital and then I had my niece who died of leukemia at age 30 not too long ago and I was a little bit more knowledgeable and we were able to transition her in a hospice and it was a beautiful beautiful experience now some folks confuse hospice and palliative care Yeah, no confuse right so what it is palliative is still a curative state so we have patients that are still um, on active chemotherapy, um, blood transfusions. Um, they're still seeing their specialists, whether it be a cardiologist or pulmonologist. So we're still treating them, but we're still making them comfortable. So patients that are going through chemotherapy, um, a lot of times they'll need labs and they may need blood transfusions. And so we are there to make that transition a little bit more comfortable with them when they, if they have to go to the hospital to get mm-hmm. a blood transfusion. So that's kind of where we are. We're in the middle of that. Uh, my wife and I were talking to a very good friend who was just diagnosed with uh, stage one breast cancer. And mm-hmm. uh, we went with her when she went to see her doctor for the first visit. And she's going to uh, uh, have surgery and a mastectomy. And the doctor looked her right in her little beady brown eyes and said, this is not a death sentence. We cure cancers mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and many cancers are cured. Yeah, many are, but there are some when when it's already metastatic or... Um, Which means it's spread through the body. It's spread through the body, um, but they're still actively looking for treatment or still getting care. That's kind of where we come in. We make that time more of a quality time for them. And, and give them the options. Give them the options. Yeah, talk yeah. to the family because they're yes. frozen at this point. Mm-hmm. So you really are a good reference to we them. We do a lot, of, a lot of support, a lot of support. We ju- I just transitioned a patient. We had her in palliative for two years, and today we transitioned her to hospice. I mean, it's, um, and it's helping the family along because mm-hmm. um, that's the biggest thing. I mean, it's a patient family-centered. What do the patients say to you about hospice? Versus palliative care. Well, I think the the first thing is they'll, they'll think, well, palliative, I mean, hospice is you're sending me to die. Right. Um, you know, that's the first thing that they're, and, but we explain to them, you know, we are at a point where we can give you quality versus quantity of time. You want to, you want to have that program with hospice um, because it's a wonderful program also. I mean, you have a lot of care in the home. It's, I believe if, uh, if you have Medicare, you qualify for the hospice. As long as, I mean, there are some stipulations with hospice, but that's kind of where we come into play. We transition them. What, which is, sounds so much better than saying we are discharging mom. Yeah. We are transitioning mom. We are still handing her yes. to another part of what we care yeah. about. And, and so it is, we put our arms around them. Yeah, yeah. And we still, I mean, we, we work very closely with a lot of hospice mm-hmm. programs. Um, and so we still follow them. I mean, we will get the weekly reports and we can see how this patient is progressing sometimes they'll get discharged also from hospice yes it's not unusual right and when they do then we come back into play because we will 
pick them back up, and, and we will continue to see them in the home. So there is no gap there. No, because many hospices discharge them back to the home without the palliative care. Yes, without the palliative. Yeah. So that's, I mean, and, and that's a reason why we there's some hospices that we work very closely because we want to know if you're going to discharge this patient, we want to know the minute that they are discharged so that we can come mm-hmm. back in and, and pick them up and, and continue to follow them. Now, can a patient request palliative care? Can I say to my PCP, hey, I dig that palliative care thing. How do I get into it? (laughs) You can. You can discuss it with your primary care physician. But we, I mean, the the patient has to be, um, you know. Failing. Yeah, really declining and towards the the latter, maybe two or three years of life. Uh, You know, we do have those patients. And if your physician says, yes, you qualify, then we'll be happy to have But, yeah, no, we can have patients that can say, um, usually it's the family that they'll say, I've heard about this. Um, do you think my, pa- my, um, my dad or my mom would qualify? And we will be happy to do an evaluation. And at that point, we can, you know, it, it's an added value mm-hmm. evaluation because mm-hmm. um, we can um, talk about DNR, medical power of attorney, um, do you need uh, more care in the home? Do you need a social worker? So maybe they're not quite admitted into our program, but there's a lot of added mm-hmm. value that we can do mm-hmm. in that one visit. So when they are uh, admitted to palliative care, then they do get a, a caseworker or a social worker that comes with it? We, if they are admitted, we have two social workers. Okay. And we have a north side and a south side. And what's um, that value? Worker. That's incredible because mm-hmm. I think every patient should be touched by, by the social worker. Um, whether just deciding um, do they need some guidance into the dad's program um, or maybe just some caregiver services. And the dad's, you mean Department of Aging and Disability. Yes, yes. Um, Which we have our own dad's employee at WellMed. Yes. Amazing. Yeah, we cover everything. Yeah, is that who I'm thinking? No, that's Mm -hmm. the APS referral person. But he's with dads. He's with dads. Yes. Come on, Ray. Mm-hmm. Ray, yes. Ray. Sure. Now, Ray, because once a year we always pick. Um, we love Ray. Yes. Once a year we we pick a, a family or a patient that's really needing like a mini makeover mm-hmm. um, that absolutely has no family or anything, oh. and then we'll go in. And Ray has always come to our little. He's amazing. To our little yearly gatherings. Yeah. What What else have you done in nursing? You're, you're now in palliative care. What other areas have you? been involved in? Well, I did, before I went into the palliative program, I was, I was working for WellMed for their complex care program. Um, but then we started with this pilot. And so I've done a lot of case management. I've done that. Done a little bit of workers' comp. And you know, I've been a nurse for over 30 years now. So it's a little bit of mm-hmm. when we were handwriting huh. <laughs> everything on files. So um, so a little bit of, I'd say a little bit of everything. You this know, the best? I this is the best by far. Why? Uh, well, it's like you you are um I mean you are the eyes and ears of the physician. I mean you are there. Um you have to have a lot of critical thinking. Um when you're going to call and you're going to report, you have to be able to know what you're listening to in the lungs and what is it that you're seeing and you got to know um your labs and how are you going to report back to the patient. So it's like you're at the top of your game. You're practicing at the top of your of your grade level, and it's, I mean, it, it's really um, gratifying to be able to that to see that you're actually mm-hmm. working as a nurse, and here you are, um, you know, being able to report all of that to the physician. So they really rely on you a lot, mm-hmm. and it's a very good relationship between the providers and the and you and the build nurses. a very close relationship yes. with the clients. Oh my gosh, with yeah. your patients, it becomes. It like family. It they, yeah they sometimes they do and it's and it's hard and sometimes and so I have one uh, patient that she didn't want to go into hospice because she didn't want to give us up she just didn't want to so you know I told her you know what I'll still be here I'll come in I'll visit and and sometimes that's what they need you just mm. visit them until you slowly let go of their hand and they um, get comfortable with the hospice program. Well, it's also a. Uh, uh, a pathway that they know mm-hmm. uh, doesn't necessarily lead to yeah. longer life. Right. True. So given the choice, uh, I'd rather stay in palliative <laughs> care. <laughs> well, well, but, you know, but then you may be missing out on some other services sure. that hospice can give. I mean, a hospice has, 
They're know, amazing. They're amazing. I mean, you don't have to. I mean, they'll give you your medicines and eat the equipment, a bath aid. We don't do that. I mean, we don't just hand out medicines or. I mean, hmm. we don't give bath aids. I could use a bath aid. By the way, if you're listening now, <laughs> you're bad. listening to <laughs> Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Peaches Hall, who is filling in today for Carol Zerniel, who is on special assignment. Uh, we're talking with uh, Magda Borrego, uh, who said that you've been in nursing for, my note said 20 years. You said 30 years. Yes, That's pretty cool. Years. So you were... Uh, so she has been 10. at a nursing school a while. <laughs> you've been on a, uh, well... <laughs> I was only guessing because 20 years is a long time. Yeah. Where did you go to nursing school? I went to SAC. I went oh, to SAC. Right. That's where it was a long time ago. It was in 1987. And then since then, I've built on and certification, mm-hmm. so certification of uh, uh, case management. Because you're wearing a pretty neat pair of longhorn oh, framed eyeglasses. Yeah. <laughs> so your daughter's at UT? She was at UT. They're very expensive glasses, by the way. Yeah, so four years <laughs> of tuition. Four years, yeah. <laughs> they don't throw those in, though, right? No, they don't. Wow. What is your daughter doing? She's a speech therapist now working on her uh, master's. Hopefully. Soon to be with WellMade. Soon to be with WellMade. Really? Are you serious? No. Oh. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, well, that's good for her. Recruiting. Yeah, good for her. At yeah. UT still? No, she's done. She finished this past May. So, and uh, working on her master's, you said? She's, yeah, she's hopefully going to um, start. Oh, that's the next goal. That's the next goal, yeah. As long as mommy can pay for it. Uh, no, mommy's done paying for that one. <laughs> I like mommy that. and daddy. Earn your yeah. own glasses. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the Borrego scholarship is over. It is over. <laughs> Stay with us here on Caregiver SOS on air. <laughs> well, thank you so much for riding along with us on Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Peaches Hall, who is filling in for Carol Zerniel. We come to you on 9.30 a.m. The Answer, Sundays at 6 p.m., but podcasts of all of our shows are available, and you can share those with friends and neighbors and relatives, and we encourage you to do that. Our special guest today is Magda Borrego. Uh, she is a nurse more than 30 years in nursing, <laughs> a graduate of SAC, has gone on to get additional certifications, and she's currently involved in the WellMed Bridges program, uh, which really is a pioneering program uh, for other health care providers across this country. Uh, you all are one of the first at WellMed mm-hmm. uh, to provide a really comprehensive palliative care it outreach is. program. It is. It's really comprehensive because we have all the uh, multidisciplinary team mm-hmm. that is in there, which is your social workers, your providers, your so, um, which is really different from other palliative programs. So there's some palliative programs that are still in a clinic, um, not quite in the home, and vice versa. So we're kind of in both. We're you in the cover clinic. cover it all. We cover it all, yes. That's yes. great. And for the patients who are listening, mm-hmm. uh, who maybe their doctor has mentioned the palliative care program or, or they've heard about it, uh, it's not a death sentence. No, it's not. It's not. It's, it's an extra layer of care from their physician. So we are there to give them that, that extra care that they're needing, whether it be to um, help them draw some labs or make sure that they have um, other medications in place, um, if we need to do any specialty, any physical therapy. So, no, it's an extra layer of care that we provide for them. And what's it like for you when you first started going into homes? Um, you know, it's it's a privilege to go into the patient's home, um, but it's good because you get to assess where this patient is living, their living environment. Um, do we need a social worker in place? Uh, it's a good time to see their needs. Yeah. Do they have enough food? I went to a patient's home and she only had tamales in, in the fridge. And so it's things like that. Where do you have your medicine? Is that a problem? <laughs> no. <laughs> but when that's all you have. Yeah. Two little tamales in there. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a problem. And if they have their medications um, scattered. scattered everywhere, and they don't know, and they're told, "Oh no, I, I know what I'm taking." Yeah, medication but then management. You have that they're taking one is a brand and one is a generic, but yet they're both the same medicine. You know, we've found that before, um, and there's a reason why your blood pressure is dropping. 
Because you're taking the same medication. It's a good time um, to find out, is the family taking advantage yes. of it? Are neighbor taking advantage? You know, are they safe in their home? Do they leave their stove on? Yes. Uh, you know, so many... Do they even have their electricities still connected because sometimes they forget to pay their bills? Correct. Yeah. I mean, and that's when we get the social workers involved and Mm -hmm. what else can we do? Um, So it's, I mean, you get to see the whole environment. You get to see the whole picture with the patient and their family. And the patients aren't intimidated by you coming into the home? No, they they really, the ones that are in our service really like us being there. They, They get a kick out of out of us going in there and helping them with their medications or um, assessing their vital signs, listening to their lungs. And um, no, they, they uh, I mean, very few are reluctant to allow us in. But they, I mean, because we also do a lot, some telemedicine also, where we have the our physician mm-hmm. on the computer. If it's an urgent need and I need the physician to assess a wound for me, I can put the um the physician in our computer. And so. sadly, for some of the patients, this socialization may be all they have. True. So you coming to the home, is there contact with other people? With other yes, yes, you know, but we make sure that they are being well taken care of and um, are we uh, preventing some things. Um, mm-hmm. So, and, you know, and it's kind of, you know, sometimes they'll say, well, I just have a little bit of congestion. But then you listen and you, you actually do a complete vital signs and there's a little bit more than just a congestion. Mm-hmm. And so that's where the prevention of the emergency rooms and the hospitalizations come in because you're catching things on Sure, time. That's your critical thinking that, at that yeah. point, yeah. yeah. And a lot and, of people don't like to complain. They don't want you to know how bad that it is. Yes, that's very true. That's very true, especially our diabetics. No, I just have a little pain in my toe. Well, let's mm-hmm. see. And then that and then there's UTI that is increased or something, you know. Yeah. see yeah. a lot. So we, we see. So we're able to catch a lot of things, and it's, it's good. And we get a lot of the families, we need to get them involved. Because sometimes we have to have those conversations where mom and dad are needing more help. Uh, mom and dad is needing someone to come in and help set up their meds. Um, you know, they are needing some food. They can't drive anymore. How can you drive and the patient be on oxygen? It's, it's you know, an accident waiting to happen for mm-hmm. all around. So, um, and so th- that that's when it comes good for us to go into the homes and. Uh, how receptive are families to that? Do they not want to hear it? Are they in no. denial? They, a lot of times they'll just, well, I didn't know that this was happening with mom and dad. I did not Maybe know. you ought to go visit them once in a while. <laughs> well, part, pardon me for saying that. Well, th- sometimes what happens is that they, well, they get there and dad is saying, no, I'm fine. Nothing's wrong with me, you know. And, but then you show them, well, the blood pressure is getting low. Mm-hmm. Dad is getting dehydrated. Mm-hmm. It's because he's not taking his medicines correctly, and someone really needs to sure. step up. Yeah. I remember years ago, my, my dad had Alzheimer's, and my mom was his caregiver. Uh, both were in their 80s at the time, and I, uh, they were in Cleveland. I was here in San Antonio, and I arranged for Jewish Family Service in Cleveland to send a social worker out to their house. Yes. Knocks on the door. Mrs. Eisenberg, your son uh, asked me to come by and, and, and check on how you're doing. Oh, we're fine. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. And that was it. So then I arranged for Meals on Wheels because mm-hmm. she really couldn't cook anymore. Right. And uh, she said, well, that was nice of you, but I really didn't like the food. We're okay. We don't need it. And they did. Yes. They did need it. They do. Yeah. And that's when you, I mean, you have, and slowly they'll warm up. I mean, if you have some patients that are resistant, but slowly they'll warm up. And they know that you're there to, to help To help. Them. Yeah, you're and and it, sometimes they're really attached to their primary care physician, and, and I'm like, well, no, I'm going to call your doctor, and he knows that I'm here, and he wants you to get this extra help. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> Does Dr. Pressus know you're here? <laughs> <laughs> yes. No. Does he know you're Does, here? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's yeah, true. And sometimes I'll say, well, you know what? Dr. Gonzalez sent me, and they'll be like, okay, he uh, yeah. sent you, yeah, and you know, that's it's perfect. good. Yeah. <laughs> so it's good. How often do you go out to see somebody in a home in the palliative care program? It really depends on their need. So um, I can be there weekly um, or I can be there monthly. It just kind of depends on on their need. Um, uh, But it's usually the nurse will go or the nurse practitioner or Mm -hmm. the physician will go out there. But at a minimum, it's monthly, at, at a bare minimum. But usually if 
if we started them on a new medication, I'm going to be there the following week to check their blood pressure. You know, Pete just mentioned a little while ago about uh, you also can see if they're being taken advantage yeah. uh, by some folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, my friend who I mentioned uh, recently diagnosed with breast cancer had mentioned something on Facebook and immediately was flooded with offers for the cure-all vitamin, guaranteed to cure cancer. Just thirty-nine ninety-five for the first 100. <laughs> and uh, unbelievable how many yes. uh, people reached out uh, expressing concern and care and love. And by the way, mm-hmm. yeah, I have this product. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of seniors, she's not a senior, by the way, but a lot of seniors are susceptible uh, to, to that. that. To a lot of scams. True, true. We had one senior that was sending out $2 to this because um, they were going to win the lottery. They were going to win, you know, and it's like, well, no, this is, you know, we get the social worker involved and when you do an assessment and you um, then you you go to palliative care, how often do you have to be reassessed? Well, we, you know, we're constantly assessing them. Mm-hmm. Every time that we go in there, we'll do a head-to-toe assessment on mm. the patient. So it's in every visit. So it's not like hospice where you have to right. be reassessed. No, we don't do any of those. Kay. I mean, you know, we are there and we ourselves are taking a look wow. at it. Who gets a, a, an assessment every time they see their yeah. physician? Or their, yeah, yeah, it's, it's great. It's, it's every time we'll... Well, you mentioned hospice where they have to be reassessed. Uh, technically, it's a six-month or so placement. Something like that. But, but how accurate can you be when you're trying to predict when someone's going belly up? <laughs> I mean, the, really. Well, My mother, for example, the, was thrown out of hospice because she was doing okay. Well, you, and usually that's what it is. The assessment yeah. comes when they are doing well and they have to release them. My brother yeah. appealed it and they got her back in. They but, got her back in. Uh, yeah. well, because I'm, when they went to assess her, and I'm sure you see this in the clinic. People are on their best behavior, and they, mm-hmm. they want you to think they're doing fine. And that was my mother. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, you do have some diagnoses that are, um, you know, that the statistics are out there. And, you know, in the next six months or two a year, this is, is a terminal condition. But, you know, and some of them are not. And so, you know, you do the best that you can. How terminal is a bad knee? <laughs> Speaking on a person depends basis. who it's on. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> Nobody yeah. dies from a bad knee unless I trip, fall into the street, and, uh, yeah, and get run get over. over. Then maybe. Yes. Well, there, there you are. <laughs> well, as you think about, and we've only got a couple minutes left, but as you think about uh, the kind of work you do, uh, which is, as we've said, relatively new, is there a next level? Is there something down the road that's being looked at as even uh, greater care for patients? I think. We are hoping to get our nurses um, to be certified in palliative and hospice. Um, and WellMed is helping us with that. And I think that is good when you get more training for the nurses. I mean, I'm, I'm speaking for the nurses. And sure. It helps out mm-hmm. it, it, to know that these are um, they're certified in this particular program and you've got the best nurses that are out there helping them out. And so for the young person who's listening to this program, uh, or, or to the grandma and grandpa who've got uh, grandchildren who are thinking of going into nursing, uh, you'd recommend this? I would hope, yes. I would recommend it. I mean, it's it's a wonderful profession. Uh, it's You're serving patients, and you're, you know, it's great. It's wonderful. It's It's been... Um, it's been great for me. So I've known nurses yes. um, in palliative and in hospice, and you have to love either one. Yeah. And so it, it, evidently, Magda, you love it. It shows. <laughs> yes, I do. So that's great. And that's the one thing I think that WellMed does is puts the right people in the right job. Yeah, they're being good. WellMed, the right I mean. Bus, they're riding the bus in the yeah. right seat. Well, that's because, cool. yeah, because Dr. Elizabeth Glazier, who was a pioneer for us, I mean, she. And a firecracker. Yeah, she had a vision, and so she came and. And here we are. Now, I interviewed Elizabeth uh, shortly after she arrived in yes. San Antonio and began uh-huh. this program. She's one neat lady. Mm-hmm. She is. She is. I mean, she has a great vision, and um, she has really expanded the program. Now, you mentioned your daughter going into speech therapy. Uh-huh. Are there other little Borrego children running around? Uh, <laughs> I've got an older son. Who's, so personal. Uh, <laughs> 
he's 27 and he's a welder. Oh, that's and cool. he loves oh. the welding. I'm like, okay, I shouldn't have given you the fireworks when you were a kid. But <laughs> no, they only make $1,000 an hour if you're a good welder. So <laughs> he's, he's, a got good a, he's got a good profession. <laughs> he's good. He's, he's out of the house, which I, I think is good when you're out of the house. Absolutely. <laughs> and he's paying for his own cell his phone. His own cell. That's it. Once you're on your own, it's yeah, like, okay. I like that. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming <laughs> thank in. You. You're thank a delight you to talk me. to. Thank Ask her where her name you. came from. Magda? Yeah. Magda. Magda, where did it come from? I was named after a telenovela. Really? Isn't that awesome? telenovela. That's where my My mother-in-law watches those like (laughs) clockwork. I mean, her (laughs) clock is set to when they come on. She can't figure out how to work the remotes in our house, but she's figured out how to get to the channel that's got the novella and she wants to see it. Telenovela, there you go. (laughs) All right, Magda. So you know she's beautiful. Thank you. Well, she is beautiful. Thank Thank you. you. I appreciate it. Appreciate you coming in. And Peaches Hall, thank you. Gosh, we did it again. We did. Another caregiver SOS on air put together. Appreciate it. Thank you. For Peaches and for Carol Zerniel, I'm Ron Aaron. Talk with you soon. What do you want to say there, Roland? Take care next. Oh, I know that. Okay. I want to thank you for listening to us at 930 AM, The Answer. Up next, Take 10 with Dr. (laughs) (laughs) Jamie Heisman. It's hard to believe, but this all began in the year 2010. Has it really been that long that we've Dr. been together? Dr. Robin Eikhoff, Ron Aaron, WellMed Radio. What a terrific ride it's been. And since then, and continuing, we have talked about everything. We've talked about medical issues, we've talked about legal issues, end-of-life issues, and the list goes on. You name a disease, and we've covered it, but with answers for people who have it, aimed primarily at seniors and their loved ones. Seniors and caregivers and grandchildren and on and on. So why do you like doing radio? Well, I love spending time with you, Ron. Oh, thank you. That's one of my favorite parts. Well, I appreciate it. But that. I like educating, and I like educating patients and family members. There's so many things that we can do with this outreach. So listen to WellMed Radio and get healthy. Ron Aaron, Dr. Robin Eikoff. We come to you Sunday afternoons at 5 p.m. on 930 AM, The Answer. Well, we are so pleased you are with us here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron. Dr. Jamie Heisman joins us on our Caregiver SOS On Air hotline for Take 10, Carol Zerniel, on special assignment. And Dr. Jamie, a nationally known psychotherapist, deals with addictions as well as caregiving and is well known for his work in both fields. Delighted to have you with us, Jamie. How are you doing? Uh, it's great to be with you. I'm doing fine, thank you. That means freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional from last week's episode, if you remember. Absolutely, and uh, I probably will never forget that. Now, I did a little research, and I came up with the five biggest issues that sabotage family caregivers, and I wanted to toss these out to you and get your response in dealing with some of these issues. And these are the sore points that often undermine family caregiving. And the top of the list, they put lack of privacy. You know, I cannot think of anything probably more pertinent than that, that a caregiver's privacy is totally tied to his dignity or her dignity, and that your life obviously becomes very much open to your loved one you're caring for and to the family members that are surrounding this entire experience. Um, we we have this beautiful thing sometimes of like being on our own and being in our own cocoon and bubble sometimes and having peace from the world, but the world of caregiving seems to open up, let's say, doors that we don't want to open up that bring stress and anxiety in, and, and, and our privacy is threatened. So I totally understand why that can be an issue. And, and one of the solutions that uh, in this list they suggest is try to establish household rules that people agree on with respect to access to the kitchen, the television, and other possible points of conflict. The bathroom, for example, if you're dealing uh, with a care recipient with dementia, often they will barge through any door. There's nothing but nothing more important to self-care and not to burn out than to create the boundaries you just described. Now, those are physical boundaries, and that's really wonderful, and I believe that uh, they're vital and necessary. But emotional boundaries are also very important, too, and, and that is that you know, we need not to be all things to all people. We need to be uh, authentic and to be able to say no and to say yes 
and to draw lines of demarcation of how much we can do and not do. It's much like the metaphor you're using with the household issues of kitchen and living room and times and, and dates, if you will. But that's, that's a great example. And, and it's not, again, it just feeds into our self-care model. So our point number two on this list, and this is one <laughs> you and I both have uh, small kids. They're older now, so this is not as big an issue. Ignoring sleep deprivation. There's nothing, but nothing, at least to me personally, forget the professional side now, that's more impactful than sleep deprivation. And frankly, caregiving is, is the, I think, the greatest exacerbator of that. You know, to go to sleep and to be restful, to set up our room in a way that, that is conducive to sleep and you're not watching videos and television and, and you can lay down and possibly go through a meditation. I mean, that's the way really to get your strength back to be able to sleep. But caregivers all too often go to sleep anxious, stressed, overwhelmed, depressed. And, and these thoughts keep us up and throughout the evening. And then when we wake up the next day, I mean, we may have had very disturbed sleep, you know, two to three hours of sleep. And our whole day, and our relationship with everybody around us, and our jobs, if we're still at them, is so affected. So sleep is huge, Ron. Now, very, what, very big. what about the concept that a lot of uh, older people believe that, hey, look, poor sleep's a part of getting older. It isn't. I mean, it, we, we can accept that. But I think that if you go to a good sleep specialist, and I think this is what I would suggest for your listeners to do is to not accept it, that not to just have a throwaway line that we're getting older, uh, that there's a lot of things psychologically you can do to get better sleep. And I have to tell you, if we're going to be growing older and, and age you know, properly, we're going to need sleep. Um, I, for one, can tell you this on a personal basis. It took me to go to a neurologist sit down and put together a routine, if you will, uh, a new habits, that, if you will, so, so I could sleep. And so don't flip this off to anybody, uh, you know, in any sort of flipping line that says exactly that. You must be able to have good, restful, restorative sleep to be able to either be a caregiver or to be a care receiver. Some people, especially caregivers, believe that if they address their sleep problems, that it's really just selfish, only for their benefit. Well, that you know, we know that's totally wrong because let's face it: if you're feeling good, and you're feeling emotionally right, and you're feeling well rested, um, your loved one would feel safer. Your loved one will feel like they're in the presence of somebody who is feeling okay. I mean, let's face it: our, our loved ones are scared. They're going through the chronic and or terminal illness. And, and there's nothing at all remotely associated with that. that. We do need to get sleep because if we don't do it for ourselves, we must do it for everyone around us. He's Dr. Jamie Heisman. I'm Ron Aaron. Carol Zerniel on special assignment today. This is Take 10 on 930 AM, The Answer, part of our Caregiver SOS on-air program. Number three on the list, and we've talked about this, the lone soldier syndrome. A lot of caregivers believe, hey, they're in this alone. There's nobody out there to help them. You know, that goes with also people with chronic illness. So you can compound that twice. Not only is the caregiver is a lonesome cowboy or cowgirl, but so is the person they're taking care of because chronic illness will isolate them. Listen, nothing is more, you know, hurtful, if you will, to the body than to be lonely, to be isolated, to be detached. To do this in a lonely fashion only creates some of the worst burnout we could possibly have. That's why I think, uh, you know, from the bottom of my heart, uh, it's great to see a therapist, and I would recommend every one of your listeners to see one, and we can tell them how to find one. But the first thing I would do would be go to a support group. Uh, go to Caregiver SOS, if you will. Uh, sit with other people who have gone through the experience you've gone through. They hold the key. Do not isolate. Do not isolate. And let me give you the third point. Do not isolate. <laughs> I like that. Next on the list. And we're talking with Dr. Jamie Heisman, uh, not anticipating what's coming next. Like firefighters, caregivers tend to stomp out one flaring crisis after another, and they don't see anything else coming. It's all unpredictable. It's random, and it is unpredictable. But then again, you know, if you have one foot in yesterday and one foot in tomorrow, um, you're really giving up the present here that, that God gave you. And so we have to be able to be strong in the present. 
that this randomness and then these sort of episodic issues that we don't expect that pop in on us will happen. I mean, it's just the key. Caregiving is the embodiment of Murphy's Law. And so we must, I mean, we must take our oxygen first and take our self-care seriously. For us to be on one leg and for one of these sort of episodic issues to happen, we get blown over. It's almost like a hurricane. If we can be on two feet, which means having self-care, taking care of our mind, our body, our spirit, um, then come what may, we can handle a lot better. And again, and again, even though it's, it's important to talk about this is, is great for caregivers, this too is vital for the person they take care of, because then that, that person won't be so fearful. And number five on the list, Dr. Jamie, uh, overwhelmed by care tasks, the most difficult home care deal breakers are really practical matters. Uh, they go beyond the caregiver's ability to manage, like incontinence, heavy lifting, wandering behaviors, and someone with dementia. Uh, it becomes overwhelming for the caregiver. Well, it does. And these issues are obviously going to require somebody to assist or help. And there's two answers I have for this. But obviously, if we can have that family of choice, if we can go to our faith-based sort of centers and, and talk to uh, pastors or rabbis or imams and, and say, look, we, we need some help, and maybe there's people in the, in the temple or church that can help us, that's great. Our support group also can offer, offer us extraordinarily good answers in, in terms of that. Um, but again, again, and again, this all comes down to our own self-care. If we are, can see that we're not supermen, like we talked about, and and we cannot do the things that we think we'd like to do, but we need to ask for help from others, then things will be a lot easier. Hey, thank you. That was fascinating. Really appreciate it. And by the way, if you want to hear podcasts of our programs, they are all available. Just go to caregiversosonair.org, and you will find the podcast. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Dr. Jamie Heisman. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on Air and Take 10 on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. We'll catch you again Sunday at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS on Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel, for another edition of Caregiver SOS on Air on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. It's hard to believe, but this all began in the year 2010. Has it really been that long that we've Dr. been together? Dr. Robin Eikhoff, Ron Aaron, WellMed Radio. What a terrific ride it's been. And since then, and continuing, we have talked about everything. We've talked about medical issues, we've talked about legal issues, end-of-life issues, and the list goes on. You name a disease, and we've covered it uh, with answers for people who have it, aimed primarily at seniors and their loved ones. Seniors and caregivers and grandchildren and on and on. So why do you like doing radio? Well, I love spending time with you, Ron. Oh, thank you. That's one of my favorite parts. Well, I appreciate it. But that. I like educating, and I like educating patients and family members. There's so many things that we can do with this outreach. So listen to WellMed Radio and get healthy. Ron Aaron, Dr. Robin Eikoff. We come to you Sunday afternoons at 5 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com